If you would turn in your scriptures to our scripture reading in Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah 11, beginning at verse 1 in Isaiah. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness He shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips. He shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious." His righteousness. Now turn over to Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah chapter 23. Every family tends to have one. One person in the family who keeps the genealogies the keeper of the scroll, the investigator at every family reunion, the haunter of graveyards looking for deceased ancestors, and the hopeful one that maybe, just maybe, if they dig far enough into our past, just maybe they will find royalty somewhere at the end of the line. Look at verse 5 here. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. He says, I'm going to raise up for David. This is from David. David is the trunk of the family tree. And he says, there's going to be a, a shoot there 
that is going to begin to grow out of that trunk. You will see that shortly as the sun comes and the spring is upon us and the various trees, maple trees, let go their helicopter seeds and, and at the base of a great many of them will grow shoots. That's the same word that's used here. Uh, a shoot or a sprout here in verse 5. A righteous branch. And he tells us that this righteous branch, he shall reign as king. That is, the king is coming. It's a prophecy. It's coming, he is coming from David's seed, from the promise of God himself, who said to David, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And so he says a righteous branch is going to grow up out of David. Now the word righteous here is a descriptive word. It means devout. It means upright with God. It is sometimes even translated salvation or savior. But what's going on here is also a play on words because the last king of Judah is, his name is Zedekiah. And he's about to have his eyes put out and judgment's going to fall on him with Nebuchadnezzar. Zedekiah means the Lord is my righteousness. And so there is a play of words going on because Zedekiah was anything but righteous. I mean, have you ever eaten a bad piece of fruit? Ugh. You know, you buy the thing of strawberries at the store and you check underneath, I mean, you can only check so much, right? You're looking at it from all angles. They all look good. You get home, you open it up. You find one of them is moldy, rotten maybe. I was reading a story about a, how a, a fruit seller would keep the bag of bad fruit. And he would put one bad fruit in every order of fruit. And he said, you know, people don't mind one, he says. One bad fruit. They'll look at it and they'll go, well, there's 11 good fruit there. And that's what they'll pay attention to. And they won't, they won't complain about the one bad fruit. Look at what, how, how God describes Zedekiah in chapter 24. Chapter 24 and verse 8. But thus says the Lord, like the bad figs, the bad fruit, you see, bad figs that are so bad they cannot be eaten. 
So I will treat Zedekiah, the king of Judah, his officials, the remnant of Jerusalem who remain in the land and those who dwell in the land of Egypt. I will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth to be a reproach, a byword, a taunt, and a curse in all the places where I shall drive them. They are bad fruit. But a new shoot is coming, is what he's telling us. The righteous branch, one who will indeed be righteous, and, as we'll see, can make others righteous. Out of David's lineage, out of that family tree, is coming, he tells us, a king in verse 5, and he shall reign as a king, and deal wisely, so he's a wise king, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. There's the word again. And in his days, Judah will be saved. There's the word righteous again. And Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Over and over, you see that word righteousness. The Lord is our salvation. That word Lord here is Yahweh. Yahweh is our righteousness. That's why the righteous branch came to be a messianic term in Judah and in the restored kingdom eventually. You see some of the other, uh, what we call the minor prophets using this term, Zechariah. I will bring my servant, the branch. <laughs> Behold, the man whose name is the branch. Now the final four Davidic kings were exceedingly unrighteous in Chapter 23, verse 1, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. I mean, they were Jehoaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah. And they and their administrators and their bureaucracies and their advisors and the ruling class of the day, the elites of their society were destroying the nation. They were destroying the people, scattering them. And their behavior is listed in chapter 22, which is a chapter of judgment on these four kings. Look at chapter 22, verse 13. Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbor serve him for nothing and does not give him his wages, who says, I will build myself a great house with spacious rooms, who cuts out windows for it, paneling it with cedar and painting it with vermilion. Do you think you are a king because you compete in cedar? 
Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? He's speaking there of King Josiah. And it was well with him. Verse 17, but you have eyes and heart only for your dishonest gain, for shedding innocent blood, for practicing oppression and violence. Hmm. Their leadership was completely self-interested. Their idolatries we've already looked at with Baal, Ashtoreth, and Moloch. Their oppression, stealing the money of their own people. I mean, God hates leaders who take, who receive bribes, who are unjust and lie, who abuse their expense accounts, who line their own pockets, who shed the blood of innocence. It's such a great responsibility to be a leader of a nation, to be of that number that are supposed to shepherd the nation in justice and righteousness. They should be ensuring that taxes are kept low so that they don't take the money unfairly or unjustly from the population, that they respect their fellow citizens, that influence is not given to those who fund their campaigns, that bureaucrats are not manipulating behind the scenes, respecting the monies of the people. They should be ensuring that lies are not told that self-serving behavior is not pursued or justified, that innocents are not killed, and that the helpless are helped, that the perks of leadership are refused, that trust is not abused. Would that our government would have many who wouldn't care about personal ambitions. People who love truth and would persevere in a righteous cause. And it's not just the political arena that God comes against because of their behavior. It's also the spiritual arena. The spiritual fathers of the nation, the, the prophets, chapter 23, look at verse 11. Both prophet and priest are ungodly. Even in my house I have found their evil, declares the Lord. Uh, 13. In the prophets of Samaria I saw an unsavory thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray. But in the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. All of them have become like Sodom to me and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. 
Therefore, says the Lord, I will feel, feed them with bitter food, give them poisoned water to drink. From the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has gone out into all the land. He says in verse 16, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. And over in verse 21, I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. I mean, with great dismay, here in Canada, we hear so often of those who are supposed to speak for God, and we find they know nothing about God. That they despise his word, and they spend most of their ministry trying to convince people that the word does not mean what it says. They tell their communities of faith that, that abominations and evil are acceptable. Uh, it says they strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. They celebrate what defiles. Any perverse thing, they veneer over with religious acceptability and call it, they call evil love. They call sin good. And that which is good they call sinful. They call those who disagree with them haters. And they, they, they will utter all sorts of evil against you for standing on the word of God, for seeing clearly. And they love money, and they love celebrity, and they love putting on a show. Jeremiah says earlier, the prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule on their own authority, and my people love it so. Because they're being told to, that anything is acceptable, everything is God-approved, and it's not. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you put yourself under out there in the world and in our country and on the internet. Be very careful. He says in verse 1, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to the fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. 
Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. <laughs> he said, I'm going I'm to deal with these shepherds. I'm going to deal with these elites. And, and then I'm going to bring back my people. And I'm going to shepherd them. And there's a day coming. And I'll put shepherds over them after my own heart. The shepherd um, will bring people into his, the pasture of God. And you know how Jesus picks up on this metaphor constantly in his teaching. He is described as a shepherd, and he describes himself as a shepherd. And he claims to be everything the Old Testament claimed about this Shepherd of God. That's why in the book of Matthew we read, O Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. He's using the messianic language there. A shepherd is coming. God's giving you a shepherd the shepherd. And Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees and the hired hand cares nothing for the sheep. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. And just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He is the good shepherd. And the scripture says that he is the great shepherd of the sheep who rose from the dead. The scripture says he's the good shepherd, the great shepherd, and the chief shepherd who is coming again and will appear for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He knows his own sheep. And they know him. And I pray this morning. Pray to the Father that you have come into the sheepfold of God, that you have come into his pasture and are under the care of the shepherd who he has promised. And so he says of the rule of the rightful king in verse 5, the righteous branch. You know, there's been a recent discovery made. Uh, the Phoenician culture would use that term righteous branch to describe the rightful heir to the throne. And some are thinking that's, that's what the Lord is saying here is that the rightful heir to the Davidic throne is being declared. This righteous branch. Our Prince Charles, I guess he's King Charles now. Our King Charles has not yet been coronated. He's been declared to be king, but he 
has not yet had his coronation, celebration, whatever they call it. He is planning it, and I think the date of it moves around. He comes from the Windsor's family line. The family dynasty, right? The Windsor's. And there are six family lines in, the, in, in English history. Either some died out or, you know, the war of the roses and the war. The different dynasties took over. The Tudors basically died out. I could name them all, but Charlene counseled me that I'd have trouble pronouncing them. So, so I'm going to stick with her counsel this morning. Our great king, Jesus, the son of David, comes from one dynastic rule, and that's David. And he is the legitimate heir. That's why we have at the beginning of the book of Matthew, the genealogy is to prove this. That's why in Luke chapter 2, we have the genealogy to prove this, that he is a son of David, legally. And this, is, this point is made over and over again in the scriptures. Think of Isaiah 9, for to us a child is born... To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and he shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. On the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David, you see, and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Christ is the rightful heir to the Davidic line. He is a fulfillment of the Father's promise, the son of David, the shoot, the sprout from the trunk of David comes this righteous branch. And this righteous branch is a king who will reign wisely with justice and righteousness, we're told, who will save his people, Yahweh, our righteous Savior, our shepherd, and our Lord. Isaiah says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was David's father. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And Isaiah will say, for he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. The righteous branch grows, and his righteousness belongs to those 
who are his. We know that he came to the world. The world did not know him. He came to his own. His own people did not receive him. The scripture says, but as many who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Paul will say, now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for all who believe. He gives us his righteousness. He imputes it to us when we put our faith in him for the forgiveness of our sins. The good shepherd died, if you remember, for us. The righteous branch transfers, imputes his righteousness onto you if you are his. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Put your faith in this Christ. You have no righteousness of your own. Nothing that God is impressed with, nothing that God will value on your own. You need the righteousness of the righteous branch. And he will give you his righteousness. He will cover you with it. You can put it on like you put on a robe. And that on the day that is coming, he will see the righteousness of Christ in you, not your own, which was laid on his son at the cross, your unrighteousness, our sin. You know, some of us may have some in our family trees who are like Zedekiah. Jehoiachin, or the rest of that family. And as we look back, and our keeper of the scrolls in your family rolls them out at every family reunion, some go tables and tables. And you might find, as you go as far back as you can, that you have no royalty back then. You might find that you were but a peasant. I have discovered, well not me, my cousin has discovered that the Mahans in Ireland are known for inventing mayonnaise. That's, that's it, that's all I got. I pass this legacy on to my kids. It's a heavy burden to bear. Maybe you have skeletons in your closet. The neat thing is, the wonderful thing is, is that we are grafted into Christ. We are grafted into 
his lineage, his line, his shoot. And we become legitimate heirs. And we begin to draw nourishment from Jesus Christ. So that the scripture says, in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. And though we go way back and can find no royalty in our family, in our spiritual family, well, we only have to look to Christ. And we are royal now in him. We are of the royal family. He says, you are a chosen race of a royal priesthood. Royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Jesus would say, I am the vine. What? You are the? Yeah. We draw now from him. And we know we are of his royal line. And we will rule and reign with him one day. It's his promise. He is the righteous branch. He does not fail. He does not falter. Despite the sins and the awfulness of what was going on in Judah. There was so much hope because of Christ. Despite, as we look at our own country and our own leadership and our own elites and and the awfulness that goes on there and the awfulness in the spiritual world across our land and how such wickedness is celebrated and despite all of this, there is hope because of the righteous branch. He doesn't fail. He doesn't falter. And he will shepherd us into good pasture. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, if there be someone here this morning lost in their sins, full of unrighteousness, convict their heart now in the power of your Holy Spirit. Let them know that they have no hope apart from Jesus, apart from the righteousness of Christ, apart from the good shepherd who gave his life because of our unrighteousness, that we might have his righteousness. Friend, put your, put your faith in Jesus alone. Trust in him, follow him. He is the righteous branch, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. He alone is worthy and he is coming again. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Thank you, Jesus, that we are safe in good pastures in in you and that you lead us and we follow. You know us. We know you. We hear your voice in this 
loud, noisy jumble of a, of a time that we live in. We hear your voice, and our allegiance belongs to you. Keep us faithful, keep us sure, and keep us together as a family of God, enjoying such nourishment from you, Jesus, who are the vine, and we are the branches. We thank you, and we honor you, and we bless you. Amen.